Good evening. Patty Hearst has been taken into custody. The FBI says Patty Hearst was picked up today in San Francisco. The Hearst newspaper heiress has been missing for 19 months. First, she was kidnapped. Then she announced that she had joined ranks with her kidnappers, members of the Symbionese Liberation Army. She called herself Tanya. She was later indicted in connection with a San Francisco bank holdup and labeled a fugitive. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Colts Coffee and Conversation. My name is Carl. And I'm Holly. I'd like to welcome you back to another wonderful edition of Colts Coffee and Conversation. Hope you're enjoying our fantastic journey through the Symbionese Liberation Army, also known as the SLA. How are you taking it so far, Holly? Well, you know, I told you it was my passion, and it's true. And I'm very uh, immersed in it. Yeah, yes. And uh, so I, I can't, I'm almost happy it's coming to an end. Ah, your passion bucket is now officially full. I think so. I gotcha. Alrighty. Well, it's time to do the disclaimer. Ladies and gentlemen, this is for entertainment purposes only. We have normal, regular jobs. We're normal, regular people. This is our personal interpretation and also our personal opinion about such events. And uh, before we get into our cults, before we get into our conversation. Let's talk about what we're drinking. Holly, what are you drinking? Well, you know, I'm going to go back to my delicious Corducio. Ah, very nice. Even though it is out of season. That's okay. It's on the secret menu. <laughs> it is. Yes, just like, what is it, uh, in and out Yes. The secret stuff. Mmm. Anyway, I'm drinking the uh, beverage that got me into coffee. Thank you, Ann Heather. Shout out, Ann Heather. Cappuccino. I'm having a cappuccino. Cup of Chino. Yes, a cup of Chino. <laughs> okay. No, a cup of Chino. So, ah, delicious, frothy, love it. Alrighty, but before we get into the, uh, the this is what, our final show, isn't it? Yes, of this SLA. Of SLA. This is number seven. This is number, I never thought it was going to go this long. Yes, uh, truth be told, f- uh, all you wonderful listeners, all you cultonites, when we started to sit down and, and kind of, kind of, paint the picture and paint the story uh, Holly was saying it's only maybe two episodes max well I was wrong whoopsies because I was like no there's more there is blood in this stone find it we found it so yes and and actually we we didn't even there's a lot more in there but yeah we're know. just kind of brushing the surface for the most part on mm-hmm. it but uh, even the brushing of the surface there's a lot there yes Alrighty, before we get into it, once again, guys, we have to do our little shout-outs to uh, what we need. Feedback, feedback, feedback. We would love to have your feedback, guys. In order to do that, we have a few uh, a few uh, doorways you can walk through. And that one, of course, is Facebook at Colts Coffee Conversation. And also, we do have our Instagram at Colts Coffee Convo. And then, of course, we have the Twitter machine at Colts Coffee Con 1. That is Colts Coffee Con, C-O-N, and the number 1. So we have our... Uh, email address at coldcoffeeconvo at gmail.com. And there's also another option. This is the voice recorder. Yes, you can record a voice memo on your phone, and you can send it off to Colts Coffee and Convo. Oops, Colts Coffee Convo at gmail.com. Very nice. Or on Anchor, there's a little button to push to say what you need to say and send it off to us. Yes, we're on Anchor. We're on Air. We are actually now on iHeartRadio. Look at yes, that. Yes, I feel special. Yes, I do. I mean, no, probably it's not. They just probably randomly picked us, but that's okay. We got picked. That's all that matters. Yes. And we're also on 10 different platforms of podcasting. Yes, we are. So very grateful and very thankful for that. Uh, we're very easy to find, guys. If you have an iPhone, it's that little purple icon. Just push it. 
and then type in Cole's Coffee Conversation. Guess what? We're number one. Yes, and we're not cults and coffee. No. Or coffee and cults. Nope. Nope, nope. Cult's Coffee Conversation. Three C's. Handle it. Like it. Love it. Listen. Alrighty. So let's go ahead and get into our final wrap-up of the Symbionese Liberation Army. Okay. Alrighty. So real quick before we get into a little recap of last episode, they are now gone from the ranch in Connecticut, I believe. No, it was uh, New, New York. York. I'm sorry, New York. They were Connecticut, then New York. And then Pennsylvania, and back Pennsylvania and forth. Yes. And all over the neck of the woods. But now they decided to take the group to Sacramento. So Holly, take it away. Kathy Solia and Jim Kilgore, they did tell them to come to Sacramento. Mm -hmm. They were kind of surprised at that, but it took a couple of weeks to prepare to return to California. Packing and travel arrangements had to be made. It took longer than normal because all they had was a payphone to use on both ends of the coast. Mm. The plan was for Jack Scott to drive Patricia to Las Vegas to his parents' home. Mm. From there, she would be picked up by Jim Kilgore, Kathy's boyfriend, and escorted on a bus to Sacramento. Mm. Sacramento was about an hour and a half outside the Bay Area. Close enough, but whether there was less of a chance of Patricia being recognized. The group assembled back together in Sacramento, unsure how Harris made it there. They, they along with Steve, Kathy, and Joe Salea, Jim Kilgore and Martin Borton, they made up a new group called the New World Liberation Front, NWLF. Their new focus of revolutionary activities was now bombing. Wow, that's extreme. Because uh, DeFries uh, disdained bombing, even though he was a common, it was a common method of leftist groups in those days. Bombs would go off, you know, after hours and just damage property, but not people. The SLA preferred to use the murder and kidnapping. Hmm. That's a nice little switch. The group had their uh, bitter disagreements, mainly between Bill Harris, of course, and uh, Michael Borton. Add to that, Bill, Emily, and Patricia were the only ones uh, not generating any revenue, technically. They couldn't have, they couldn't work because they were very high, high profile. Now, they had three different apartments. Patricia spent her days reading. Emily did household chores and errands. And Bill tried to boss everybody <laughs> around. Mm, shocker. <laughs> what jobs the others had barely covered their own expenses, uh, let alone the three fugitives. Now, the petty crimes were committed, like shoplifting, purse snatching, and stealing from the U.S. mail truck. Horse meat was purchased just because it was cheap. You know, I don't even know where you'd buy horse meat. It's, well, That's just so well, disgusting. Well, first of all, where are they at? They're in Sacramento. Now, the joke about Sacramento is it's nothing but a cow town. That is true. So it's a bunch of ranches, and you know, hey, you never know. I guess you would have a local slaughterhouse. Probably. That's just disgusting. Agreed. So being cooped up and doing crime just to survive, the SLA members thought they were going nowhere. With discussions about making bombs... At too much money trying to free Little and Romero, not possible, they finally decided to do another bank robbery. Mm. The Guild Savings and Loan was carefully chosen for location and easy getaway. There were no security cameras. This time the robbery was for money, not propaganda. On the morning of February 25, 1975, Jim Kilgore and Michael Borton entered the bank 
Instructing the teller to open the safe, they grabbed coins and cash out of the teller's drawers. Now, the coins they grabbed happened to be just pennies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the haul was $3,700. It wasn't a huge amount, but they were able to leave before the police showed up. That's smart. With only two robbers, it appeared to be a run-of-the-mill bank robbery, not a revolutionary statement. Smart. This success gave them new energy. Patricia cased a bank in Marysville, California on her own. In the end, the group decided upon the Crocker National Bank in Carmichael, California. Now that's right outside of Sacramento. Mm. The reason was, since it was a busier bank, more money could be taken. They imagined up to $100,000. Nice. Since they were experienced bank robbers and they had never been caught, they were willing to risk a high-profile bank. The plans were made. What could go wrong? Now, let's talk about that Crocker National Bank uh, robbery. After a year and a half, Joseph Ramiro and Russell Little were still locked up for the Marcus Foster assassination. Now, they were in Alameda County Jail meeting with uh, Little's attorney uh, when they lunged at two guards and stabbed them with pencils. One guard was struck in the neck, that's not good, and the other in the eye, not good either. Grabbing the jailhouse key for the gun locker from the guard, they were opening up when one of the guards punched the electric lock and allowed the other officers to enter and subdue Little and Ramiro. With their cash inflow from the the Guild bank robbery, the three three plus grand, full of pennies, uh, <laughs> in the World Liberation Front was back to making bombs. Now they set off two bombs, one at the PG and E Tower in San Bruno, and one over the fence at the PG and E uh, substation in San Jose. Now the planning was for the Crocker National Bank in Carmichael was a larger and more detailed than the Guild bank job. Now since this was a bigger bank. They felt that they needed more people involved for the heist. They stole three cars, stole wallets to use as IDs to rent the van, and then rent a garage to store the cars. A few days before the robbery, Michael Borton arrived to go over the plan and to do a dry run. Bill Harris masterminded the plan, which was four people were the invasion team, would enter the bank, Two would stand guard outside to shoot at the police in case they showed up. Two others would drive the switch cars. Borton thought their plan was crazy and involved too many people. After hours of debate, Borton agreed to Bill's plan. Now here's the breakdown of the team. Michael Borton, Jim Kilgore, Emily Harris, and Kathy Salaya were the ones on the invasion team. Bill Harris and Steve Salaya were waiting outside the bank to cover them in case the police should show up. Wendy Yoshimuro drove a car to pick up Bill and Steve. Patricia drove a car to pick up the invasion team. Now, we have a person we're going to talk about. Her name is Myrna Opsal. Yeah, let's do some background on Myrna Opsal. Now, Myrna was born in Cheyenne, Wyoming where she was raised a Seventh-day Adventist. Now, she went to nursing school in Riverside, California, and that's where she met her husband. Her husband's name is Trig... Well, it's a, it's a uh, Scandinavian name. Uh, Looks like Trigiv. Could be Trigiv. We'll call him Trigiv. Okay. 
Now, he was also going to medical school. They were married in 1954, shortly after they went on a medical mission to Trinidad. After their mission, they decided to settle down in Carmichael, California, which is outside, of course, Sacramento. Now, they had four children. Trigby, right? Mm-hmm. Is what we're calling it now? Yes. Very odd spelling, folks. Um, the medical practice at a local hospital, and she was a homemaker. Marina became a homemaker. Now, still active in their church, uh, Marina was part of a group of women who had the responsibility of counting the weekend offering and making the, d- the deposit over at the Crocker National Bank. That particular Monday, one of the women in the normal rotation had an engagement, so Marina took her place. Now, arriving with her two friends at opening time, she noticed four young people with hunting clothing, end quote. It seemed odd for a beautiful spring morning. She had uh, an adding machine in both of her hands, so the young man in front of her naturally held the door open for her. Very nice manners. I like that, even though you're robbing a bank. As soon as she entered the bank, the young man, Michael Borton, yelled, Everyone on the ground! He was brandishing a pistol as he and his comrades waved their weapons in the air and put on ski masks. Emily had a shotgun, and in the few seconds the robbery lasted, the safety slipped off, and it went off, hitting Myrna in the side. Mm. She slumped down, bleeding heavily. The robbery continued, with the four of them scrambling to find money and traveler's checks. Borton asked one of the tellers where the traveler's checks were, and she said they didn't have any. Kathy Celaya kicked her in frustration. After Emily yelled out, 90 seconds, they left, walking around Myrna's body. Now, Patricia was driving a van and picked up Emily, Kathleen, Borden, and Kilgore as they ditched the, the Firebird that they used as a getaway car from the scene of the crime. Now, Patricia heard Emily say, maybe she'll live. Kilgore said, no, I saw her. Unfortunately, Myrna did not live. She was rushed to the hospital where her husband worked. The teller who, who Kathy kicked went uh, into premature labor, and she lost her baby. Now, in discussion, that went down during the bank robbery. Kilgore said if Myrna had not been in between Emily and him, the gun would have hit him instead. Emily accused her of killing Myrna because her husband was a doctor, which made Myrna a bourgeois pig. All this hit the media, and the radio labeled it as SLA-style operation, end quote. Now, this addition to the Little and Romero trying to escape a few weeks before, this put heat on the group. Now, Bill Harris also mentioned that the governor, Ronald Reagan, restored the death penalty law. They will be all guilty of felony murder punishable by the death penalty. The take of the robbery was only 15 grand far less from the 100000 they were hoping for. Their high hopes that followed the guild savings and loan robbery vanished in the blood of Myrna uh, on their hands. After the Crocker National Bank, immediately after the robbery, the group laid low in their Sacramento apartments. The police found fingerprints in the Firebird. They discovered the rented garage where the cars were stored with more fingerprints. Once again, Bill Harris was getting restless and decided the group needed to move back to San Francisco. There was more available help and cover there. With the stolen money, they were able to rent two apartments. Because Patricia and Steve Celaya were a couple, she did not have to stay connected with the Harrises anymore. Each person seemed to go about normal activities. Steve Celaya, Jim Kilgore, and... Michael Borton resumed their painting business. 
Using a fake name, Kathy Celaya took a waitressing job at the Sir Francis Drake Hotel. Wendy Yoshimura moved in with other friends, and Joe Celaya found work too. Obviously, Patricia and the Harrises were not able to work. They were hanging around in the apartments. Patricia found feminism was something she was passionate about, so she had feminist study groups. Okay, so let's talk about something. There's a thing that there was going back in the day called feminist bomb makers. Hmm, that sounds like a healthy hobby. Now, since there were more women than men in the group, they started to assert their desire to be involved in bomb making. Now, they wanted to show that they could make bombs just as well or even better than men. As usual, Bill Harris had an objection to this. He never made a bomb. Since DeFreeze did not like the fact that explosions were after hours and destroyed property only. Over the summer, he did read a book on bomb making and fancied himself an expert. Now, the SLA members wanted to kill cops with the bombs. He argued if successful, this would start a government crackdown on the general population, would in turn have the people rise up to revolt against the government. Eventually, all of them agreed. Finally deciding on bombing police stations, they started to do the process of bomb making. Now, this activity bonded the group because it was finally real revolutionary activities. On August 7th, Patricia and Joe took a bomb to the police station in the mission, and Wendy and Kathy took a bomb to one in Sunset. These are police stations. Mm. Knowing that the buildings were reinforced, they felt putting them under police cars would be more symbolic. Both plans failed. The mission bomb failed to detonate, and they could not find a target at sunset. After practicing in a remote area in Northern California, they planted a bomb under a police car in Emeryville, California. This is a city in between Oakland and Berkeley. It was successful. The car was destroyed, but there were no injuries. The next day, they sent a communique from the New World Liberation Front claiming responsibility. The reason was for the shooting of a 14-year-old boy. They ended the communique with the tagline of the SLA, Death to the Fascist Insect that Preys Upon the Life of the People. Now that they were back on track, there were two bombing scenarios planned. Now the first one was a set of two bombs off the, uh, the Marine County Police Complex. The first one exploding under a police car and the second exploding under the front door of the police where they were coming out. Bombs went off, but the, but in reverse order, and no one was hurt. Patricia and Joe Celaya did that one. Now, the second one was in Los Angeles against the LAPD for the shootout. Jim Kilgore, Kathy Celaya, and Bill Harris went with Bill's newly built large pipe bomb. Now, their original target, they drew suspicion, so they drove around Los Angeles. Kathy and Jim started fighting, and Jim punched her. Bill defended Kathy. And he and Jim started brawling. Now, after they calmed down, they saw a police car parked in front of the IHOP on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. Now, rigging the bomb to go off when the car started. Now, the bomb failed. Now, the bomb would have killed two officers and the people sitting in the restaurant. Now, frustration was running high in the group since they had little success with the bombings. Their apartment leases were ending and they needed to find new places to live. The Harrises found a place 
but Patricia and Steve Zelaya rented their own apartment. Wendy Yoshimura stayed with them often. It appeared that at this time that their lives were becoming normal. Patricia and Steve went on hikes, and all of them went to drive-in movies. The FBI was actively pursuing leads. It was difficult because at that time, no one wanted to talk to the FBI. It was still reeling from the reputation stain of the J. Edgar Hoover era with the civil rights abuses and more. Also, there were a lot of sightings of Patricia Hearst, but these were not viable. It just bogged the whole investigation down. The first break in the case was Walter Scott, Jack Scott's brother. He was a soldier of fortune, and when his mother and father helped transport Patricia across the country, they decided not to let Walter know. Well, evidently, Walter did find out and went to the FBI with what he knew. This led the FBI to Jack and Mickey Scott. Now, those were the people that had them in the farm. Mm. The Scots wanted to avoid testifying in jail time. With the help of their lawyer, they announced they would not cooperate with the Hearst investigation, <laughs> citing Watergate, the Vietnam War, the economic situation, and the revelations of the corrupt FBI and CIA dealings. Surprisingly, this tactic worked. Now, continuing to interview persons who had come in contact with the SLA group, the FBI finally connected Kathy, Steve, and Joe Celaya to the SLA. They were no known addresses or phone numbers for them. Even their father was not able to get any information from them after meeting them in San Francisco for a family reunion. Then, through a random persons connected to the other peoples in the case, the FBI was able to track down the Celaya painting crew. They followed them for a few days and discovered that they were living in between two apartments. It was unclear who lived in which apartment, and if they were there, any others were living with them. Now, Patricia was happy in her living situation because she and the Harrises were no longer tied together. Wendy Yoshimura visited her daily, and they talked about studying about feminism, and then Steve Celaya came home, and they had quiet dinners and went to bed. Now, in the other apartment, Bill Harris had turned it into a bomb-making factory where the guns and the ammunition were everywhere. The FBI decided to concentrate on the apartment that Kathy Celia lived uh, with the Harrises, and she was, uh, which, of course, she was the link to the SLA. On September 17, 1975, after Kathy had left for her painting job, the FBI agents saw a man and a woman leave the apartment in jogging outfits. They believed the two were Bill and Emily Harris. When they returned from their jog, they took clothes to a laundromat. One of the agents decided to go into the laundromat to ID them. The agent saw a scar on Bill's knee and verified it with the U.S. Marine Corps. The FBI had to be careful how they apprehended the Harrises because they did not want another shootout. Mm. On September 18th, they waited for Kathy to leave and the Harrises to come out of the apartment for their daily jog. Upon their return, the agents stopped them at the door and said, We are the FBI. Bill said nothing, but Emily tried to run. She was stopped after about ten steps. She had nothing but profanity to say to the agents. They inked them on the spot and ran their fingerprints. They got them. Although it was a good day for capturing the Harrises, Patricia Hurst was still the one to find. 
As an afterthought, agents decided to check out the other apartment. One agent was guarding the front as two others went around the back. They saw two women sitting at the kitchen table. Wendy was showing Patricia a letter she was writing her boyfriend, Willie Brandt, who was in prison. All of a sudden, there was a crash as the back door was broken and the agent yelling, Freeze! I'll blow her head off! as he pointed the gun at Wendy. Patricia froze. There would be no shootout. The agent realized who was standing before him. Are you Patty Hurst? he asked. Yes, she said. Wendy identified herself too. He asked about weapons and explosives in the apartment. She told him there was a shotgun in the bedroom and two carbine rifles in the closet, plus pistols in each of their purses. All right, so now after the arrest, the FBI took her downtown to the federal building. Now the news of her arrest have been leaked. Now she exited the car, she smiled at the photographers, and the flash of the revolutionary sign as high as her handcuffs would allow. Inside the building, she was fingerprinted and photographed. She refused to sign the paper to her rights had been given to her. Now, she was escorted into the courtroom uh, where her lawyers met her. Now, the charges were armed bank robbery, the use of a firearm and a felony. This was for the Hiberia bank robbery. Uh, she pleaded not guilty. After her court appearance, she was taken to the San Mateo County Jail where she would spend the night. Now, before this, Steve Salai uh, heard on the radio that the Harrises were arrested and went uh, to warn Patricia, but he was too late. They picked him up as well. Fortunately, the FBI neglected to secure a construction site where the rest of the group was. So Kathy and Joe Salai, Jim Kilgore, and Michael Borden heard about the news, and they just bolted. They went underground and they were not captured for decades. Patricia's ordeal was just beginning. She was denied bail. The court ordered her to get a psychological evaluation. Through her behavior, it appeared she was not backing down from the revolutionary rhetoric. The evidence against her was piling up. Number one, she was indicted for the Hibernia bank robbery. Mm -hmm. Two, for the machine gun spree at Mel's sporting goods store. Oh, yeah. Three, the kidnapping of the teenager during her flight from that incident. Oh, yeah. Four, the bait bill from the Crocker National Bank robbery where Myrna Opsvall was killed and found in the apartment where she was arrested in a stack of cash in the refrigerator. Mm. Her father, Randolph Hearst, hired Effley Bailey, a well-known attorney for getting people with the most serious of charges out of trouble. He stopped all communication between Patricia and Stephen Salaya and any other revolutionary people. She saw only her family and friends from her pre-SLA life. Slowly, she came back around to bonding with her family. Eventually, she was let out on a $1.5 million bond. That's a big, fat bond, especially, especially back, back in then. those days. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's like, what? $5 million yeah, or five something. $5 million yeah. bond. Well, hey, the, the hearse, they're wealthy. Now, the trial started in February 4th of 1976, two years to the day after her abduction. Now, we will not be going over the trial in this podcast, guys. You can look it up. But you can, uh, like I said, you do your homework, folks. Do your homework. We can't do all the lifting. <laughs> now, um, on March 19th, the jury went out for deliberation, and it took them less than a week to come back with the verdict. The verdict, the verdict was guilty on both counts. The charges were for the armed bank robbery and the use of the firearm in a felony. 
Now, she was sentenced to seven years. Seven years. That's it? <sighs> yep. Seven years. And only served less than two. Now, in 1979, President Jimmy Carter com- commuted. commuted her sentence before leaving office. And in 2001, President Clinton pardoned her. So, all righty. So, actually, she did not get charged with that bait bill. Right. The, the bait bill evidently is a, do, a a dollar bill that's put into the money. Yeah. That so identifies it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And she didn't get charged with that. She she drove the getaway car, but that is a capital murder charge. Right. She yeah, that's And that's what F. Lee Bailey wanted to prevent at all costs. Hmm. Because I mean 7 years she did less than 2 and, For and, and all that. Yeah, and the eventually she got everything, you know, she was pardoned. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this person who doesn't like the bourgeoisie pigs, as she likes to call it. Uh, well, let's just put it this way. Roughly, she's worth about $45 million. So apparently, she's definitely living the life of luxury. I know that there are some things where they, when they were releasing the, the documentary uh, of the adoption of Patty Hearst, I think mm-hmm. it was about 2004, um, and also the one in 2018, earlier last year. Okay. Uh, she came out and uh, was very defensive in a lot of things. Some of it she wasn't even available for comment, obviously, because uh, there's also that book out that was written just a couple years ago, wasn't it? Is it the book I've been reading? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, the book you've been reading. I know that I was listening to the uh, author and his uh, speeches that he did when the book was open. He, to my understanding from what I can interpret from what he's saying, he doesn't believe that she was brainwashed. He does believe that she was a a member of the uh, Symbionese Liberation Army. Yes. He still doesn't believe her to this day. And, of course, he's, from my understanding, when uh, he was talking in an interview that he tried to get her on record and she wouldn't even... She wasn't very nice. Let's just put it that way. Right. She, it's called... um, an American heiress. Yes. The American heiress. Story. Mm-hmm. Yes. What's the author's name? Do you, do you remember? But uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, let me look for it. Sure, no worries. He's very open and adamant, and and, so and it's Jeffrey Tubin or T O O B I N. Yeah, Tubin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeffrey Tubin. He, on all the interviews he's given in regarding this book, because there's a lot of backlash from her about this book as well. She so. chose not to participate in that uh, book. Yes, and uh, like I said before. You know, she is allegedly net worth is $45 million. It could be more, it could be less, but that's still a lot of money. She's living the life of leisure as a philanthropist. Well, you know, my whole point is that these people, other than the ones that got killed in Los Angeles at the shootout, because, you know, that's the way they, they lived and died that way. Right. The rest of them had very little. They, could, they should have been locked up for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Because they not only did bank robberies. They killed people. They killed people and did some lo- a lot of damage, okay? And especially the interesting part, and I don't know if I mentioned this before, but Russell Little and Joe Romero. So Joe Romero is still in, in uh, prison right. for this murder. Yeah. He did not do it, okay? He, rode, he drove the getaway car. He didn't put any bullets in... Um, Marcus Foster. No. And that was 
let's see, who was it? Nancy Ling? Yeah, it was Nancy Ling. And it was uh, Donald DeFries. Yeah, he did the final one. Mm-hmm. Basically, everyone who actually had uh, the physical responsibility of the assassination of Marcus Foster, they, they died in that house. Yes, they did. And, you know, I don't understand now. Russell Little got a, um, a retrial for some whatever reason. Right. And he was out. He only spent, I mean, like a handful of years in, right. in prison. Well, I find it funny that they actually still let him out after t- attacking the officers. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's weird. You know, and then uh, those attorneys were right there. I don't understand all of that. But, you know, I don't understand why Joe, Mar- Joe Romero is still in prison for life. But it might be good. I was thinking, well, he's kind of nuts anyway and right. violent. So it's yeah. probably better that he's there. Right. Well, no, because they didn't have an interview with Little. Yes, he was on. He's on uh, YouTube. He's on YouTube talking about it. And from what I can see, because he came from one of those privileged families. Yeah, he was the guy in Florida that wanted to be the astronaut. Yeah, so he, from what I can tell, if it, if they did interview him at his his place. It was in Hawaii. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, he's, he's living in Hawaii. Ah, yes. Well, that's it, guys. That's a well, city. actually, oh. it isn't. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. We oh, wait. Yeah, we still have to talk about those Kathy, people that were, yeah. to- that were caught just, what, 1999 they were caught? Yeah, there was Kathy Salaya. Yes. She was Sarah Jane Moore. Right. Her yeah, they were it? Yeah, they were caught. Well, just her. Wait. First was off, it, it was her. her. Um, let's see. Sarah Jane Olson, excuse me. There's okay. too many Sarah Janes in my mind. Gotcha. Uh, Sarah Jane Moore was the one that tried to kill President Ford. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and uh, she was also the one that uh, helped out as an accountant during the uh, People in Need. That's right. Yeah. Somehow the, the people that were we were covering for Colts Coffee and Conversation, yes. somehow they... They they run in the same circles. Yeah, they all run in the same circles. Yeah, it's called Berkeley. Anyway, go ahead. In San Francisco, Bay Area. Mm. But um, so yeah, Sarah Jane Olson, uh, she was caught in uh, about nineteen ninety nine or so. Right. Because America's Most Wanted had run her picture again and told Ah, the story because you know this was uh, like twenty five years after the fact because she slipped away. Right. And she was found in Minnesota. Minnesota. Yes, and she was a housewife. Um, she did a lot of, you know, community work. She Imagine had children. being married. Yes. Yeah, to her and finding out. Excuse me. Oh yeah, that's what happened. By the way. Wow. And she did, I think, fourteen years. So she's already out. And but now Kathy Salaya was the one. That the gun was it Emily or Kathy? It was Emily. Sorry, mm. but she d- so Emily Emily um, they found Emily Harris and and um, no the Harrises they were already convicted and tried they were out though they didn't spend more th- not even ten years I don't think in that's crazy because I mean they were d- basically having a bomb factory well not only that it was Emily who killed uh, Myrna Opsal ah and she has no regret to that okay so in my mind. These people, the original crew, okay, right. mm-hmm. were uh, sociopathic. Uh, you think? They had no feeling for anybody. They had no concept of what other bu- anybody else's pain is, okay? Right. I, as far as Patricia Hurst, I think she's very 
somebody that can be easily um, manipulated. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because by the end, she was uh, with her family, you know, during the court proceedings. Now, did we tell? We didn't do the sentencing, did we? Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, she okay. served two years. But she had them. She had a possibility of doing thirty-five, and she didn't do that. Look at you, F. Lee Bailey, you smooth slide. Oh, well, F. <laughs> F. Lee Bailey was infamous in those days. Of course. Now, just he's so you know, now. well, he's passed. Well, but his reputation. Yeah. Well, now let's just go back to the cults, coffee, and conversation circle. Circle. Jack Hiles. <laughs> actually hired F. Lee Bailey to represent one of his, um, I think it was a deacon or something like that, who uh, was tried for um, child abuse. Yeah. So that's another, you know, I mean, F. Lee Bailey was a heathen, I mean, according to an IFB person. He a heathen dog. Oh, yeah, he was. He drank. He did everything. Shut well. up. You guys are drinking inside the walls of your house, you stinking hypocrites. I don't know. I don't think they drank. Child, please. You know you take a look in their like, liquor cabinet and there's probably a bottle so. of scotch. <laughs> Come they on. They did other things that were way worse. Yeah. Yeah. The, the least they could do was drink, right? Exactly. It would have been a relief. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's so funny. Well, it's true. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, you know... Um, it's it's just you know something that this is kind of a non uh, this is something that's not in the forefront anymore. I guess it's been so so long. I mean, it's been what forty almost forty five years. Yeah, that it's been, and to me, it it just seems like yesterday. So that means I'm pretty old, I guess. But well, uh, the thing too is I was mentioning to you earlier. Um, I s I've heard two references from two different shows about the SLA. Just in this last just month random or so? la last week. Oh wow! Yeah, it was a it was a podcast I was listening to, and it was also on a sports show, and I was just like, "What? Yeah, what? Where is this coming from?" Well, I, you know, the other thing I don't understand is like the L.A. Times, they didn't have on the day of the shootout, May seventeenth. You know what's in this day happened? They didn't even mention it. That's weird. That's weird. Yeah, to me, it's still very active in many people's minds. Well, that just means to say that the people writing that newspaper are probably 30. Or they don't care. Or they don't want to do their homework. Oh, that tr that's true, too. Yeah, but, yeah, this was a very interesting journey. Oh, now, let's get into this. Cult, yes or no? I say yes. It wasn't a religious cult, but it was a no. It wasn't it was a, a religious belief. one. It, it was, was a, belief a belief system, system because they did brainwash. More her. of a political cult. Yeah, I mean, they had her reading these books, and they constantly, you know, were teaching her about all these different ways, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, they had a lot of similarities to the religious cults. Brainwashing is one of them. Well, and all the militaristic things. Yeah. Well, that's well. The thing is, is that you know the majority of the cults that we've been covering so far. They all start good, and then they always go to that military. Well, this never started. This never. Yeah. This was not a fluff piece at all. It was death of the Avengers, pigs. Ah! I know. You know, it's just like, oh, geez. Yeah, I think that um, you know there are cults that have been exposed on television recently that have those guns. Remember? Yes. Back in, um, I don't know, it's back east somewhere, mm -hmm. where they're Korean. Oh, and they're, they're yeah. from the Moonies. 
Oh no, the son was one of the. Yes. It was the yeah. It was, it was the Moonies, and he was one of the, he was the oldest son of the Moonies, and he decided to go on his own little merry way and have that gun cult. Yeah, and they, it's crazy, but that's you know. But this whole thing, um, fortunately, um, it didn't resurrect after the whole pa- you know after Patricia Hearst was found. Right. Everybody, even the ones that went underground, they went so far underground that they didn't really rise up. Well, no, because now you, it's rarely, rarely at all you hear about bombing anymore. Well, I you hope it doesn't I mean? come back. Well, into no. What? What? What do you? Well, they do. Well, it yeah, they did it from uh, the World Trade Center. They tried in 1993 to bomb it. It's the same group, though. Wasn't it the same group? Well, yeah, I it was so, yeah. the um, whatever. Yeah. But no, I uh, Muslim extremist. Yes. No, I'm. But I'm talking like it. it to just, for a person of my age, to sit here and think that Americans were actually, they were bomb gangs. Oh, yeah. The Americans are trying to bring down our own government. And, and but the, it's, it's just, we're just going to throw a bomb in the middle of a crowd? I mean. We, well, no, they didn't quite do that. But you know what I mean? It's just like, well, we're just destroying property. But, but that could, that's not. Guaranteed, you're not going to hurt anybody. No, there is no guarantee. But I, I mean, you start doing that now, I, I shattered to, th- I shot her to think that, um, you know, the, you're going to get caught quick. Well, you know, something that's not, uh, that what they've done in Europe is they have these people, and they did it in New York City, where they just take a car or a van or a truck and they just start mowing people down driving over them in a park or something or like in london they had uh, you know just the guys on the sidewalk right just mowing people down so it's not exactly a bomb yeah but it's it's still destructive yes it's a similar thought just to have chaos so anyway i don't know what else to say um yeah i i'm 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 not gonna lie this was very interesting oh yeah extremely eye-opening Mm-hmm. And uh, very it was good. I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Cause well, I hope it, everyone it, it, else it, did. Too. Yeah, because it's it's it, we're not going on a belief system. We're going on more of a political. Well, and actually, aspect. the actions that they actually did. Right. Right. Alrighty. Well, anyway, guys, that's it. The SLA, the Symbionese Liberation Army, is now complete. So are we going to maybe set out a teaser of maybe possibility of what we might be doing next? Yes, we'll be sending out a teaser sometime soon because uh, this one's on me. And uh, we're going to do something a little interesting. It's yeah, let's just put it that we're way. We're just going to call it interesting because you know what I'm going to do. You and but the, the Coltonites don't. No, but it's going to be a big surprise. It's a big surprise. Uh, so there's your little cliffhanger, folks. And on that note, good night, Holly. Good night, Carl. <laughs>